and Leslie, and good to see each one of you here today. <laughs> you seen? Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> Let's take our Bibles this afternoon, and we'll turn it to First uh, Peter, First Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five. Last week, uh, those that you, those of you that were here, what did we talk about? What was the word that we spent quite a bit of time on? Commitment. Yeah, commitment. And uh, today we'd like to maybe build on that uh, a little bit. But let's uh, start in 1 Peter chapter 5 and we'll read verses 5 through 11. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Uh, yea, in all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober and be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him... Be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. May God add a special blessing to the reading of His Word, and let's just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, again, we come into Your presence thanking You for what You're going to do today in these moments before us. As we're going to look into the Word of God, we would ask that it would be illuminated by the power of the Holy Spirit, who we would ask would be exclusively our teacher today. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity we have to come and to worship You, praise Your name, as we've done in song, and Paul has led us congregationally in prayer aligning our will with yours. Father, we would pray for each one that has come here today that you would meet their needs, that you would allow them to be encouraged from the word. And Father, maybe there are those that we're not able to be here today for various reasons. We'd ask you to also hold them close to yourself. Father, now at these moments, we give them to you, knowing that they're in good hands, Father, because you will conform us to the image of your Son, again, asking for provision and protection of the word. And these things we ask in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. <clears throat> Well, as you've uh, already said, last week we, uh, we were adding on, essentially even the week before that, we were talking about uh, the sense of God's will. There's things that are basic, fundamental, underlying w- things for us as Christians to be engaged in, and there was six of those, and uh, we've said them enough that maybe you can just run them off to me. Number one was get saved, right? Uh, that's number one. If you open the Word of God and you want to be in God's will, you want to get saved, you want to find Jesus Christ. You want a relationship. By the way, I just have, this guy just popped in my mind through this. My travels, I go all over the place, it seems like, lots of miles in a week. But there's a man by the name of Michael I want you to pray for. He lives over in Ennis, young man. Um, tough cowboy, shall we say, but uh, I can't go into all of the details. But here's a young man that was broken by the end of our conversation. Spent an hour, hour and a half with him. Um, and he's, he was weeping. And I said, you know, you know what, Michael? You need a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what you need. And I said, would you, would you read a Bible if I got you one? He said, I'd love to have a Bible. Now, anybody that wants to have a Bible, I'm all over that. I'm, I'm, so we've got one coming. It's going to have his name on it. But I want you to pray for Michael because Michael needs Jesus. And uh, he's very open right now. So just happen to think of that. And he, that would be the first step to getting in God's will, if you will. Number two, do you guys remember what God's will is for your life? Be filled with the Spirit. 
Um, that is literally devouring the word of God, being close to him, walking with him, uh, asking, what's the next step for me? And the spirit will fill you and, and you want to stay filled. It's not just a matter. Now you possess the Holy Spirit once you get saved. You don't have to be looking for him. He's right within you. He wants all of you. That's the big question is he has, you have him, but how much of you does he have? And that's what walking with the spirit to be sanctified. Oh, I give it away. That was number three, wasn't it? To be <laughs> sanctified or be, boy, I got to stop. I got to let you guys engage. But to be sanctified or set apart uh, specifically for what God wants you to do for him. Uh, so we have get saved, being filled with the spirit, sanctified. What's our fourth one? Being submissive, being submissive to God's word, to God himself, to others around us, husbands and wives, being submissive, first of all, to the Lord, and then being submissive to one another. All of that submissiveness is so vitally important for us to literally be engaged in doing what God wants us to do. And number five, suffering. Oh, that's a fun one. How many of you signed up for Suffering 101 this week? No, it comes to you, doesn't it? There's some of you that are even on, but you know what? The school of suffering never graduates anyone. Think of that. Never graduates anyone. We're always involved. It always comes to us. But we learn lots. We're going to be talking about that somewhat today again. Suffering is the school that literally makes us more of what God wants us to be. One of the things that we said was God, is he loves you so much, he does not want to leave you the same. And he does that a lot of times by raising the temperature. Uh, Warren Wiersbe has said something to this effect. I'm going to paraphrase a bit. But God's hand is on the thermostat and his eye is on the thermometer watching the heat rise, making you the best you could ever be. And he, is, he knows the best for you because he cares for you. And then number six was, I love you following up, but the commitment was overall being committed to all six of these six was be thankful to be thankful. But Ernie capped it perfectly. Because when we're committed to doing all of these things, literally the will of God becomes first and foremost in our life. And then what is God's will for your life? Where does he want you? Who should be married to? What is your finance? Where should your career be? All of those things. Guess what? It'll be exactly what your heart desires. Because when you're doing those six things and you're being committed to it, your heart is aligned with his and he will take you exactly where you already desire to go. Isn't that awesome? That's great. Well, we talked about commitment and that, all of that. Uh, fathers, I maybe didn't pounce on you hard enough last week, so we're going to do a little of that today. Fathers being... <laughs> it'll be okay. I'll be nice. I, I, pounce sounded rough, didn't it? But one of the things that's interesting in our world today is the sense of the breakdown of the family across, uh, especially in our country, uh, husbands and wives, and all of the challenges that we see in, in families. And I'm not here necessarily to say, but one of the things that is, is the lack of commitment, fathers to families wives to families, children to parents. All of those commitments literally must be based upon a relationship with Jesus Christ. The family and its commitments. And first and foremost is our commitment to God. That's really what it's all about. Family was, was created by God for the betterment of us. He did it for us. But commitment is, has so many fronts, so many levels of where we need to be focused upon. And I think part of that is now... Um, how many of you had some challenges this week? There's a few of you who are honest. The rest of you are saying, how much trouble can I get if I raise my hand? <laughs> it's not a matter of if, it's when, isn't it? There's, we could call it many things. We could call it, in fact, let, let me just for a moment, uh, challenges are the word I use. I was trying to open it up being more soft, but adversity. What else could we call it? Trouble. Trouble. Testing. Testing. Trials. Tribulation. Tribulation. How about stress? You know Christians have stress too? <laughs> no. 
Yeah. A, a, a burden, right? A heaviness. Weighted down. All of those things, literally, most of the time, they're designed... I shouldn't say... I don't want to say that because I want today, oftentimes, what we do when we fall... And I'm going to use the word adversity maybe more than others today. I'm going to use that one. I don't know if that's the one that, that fits you, but um, adversity is probably the word I'm going to, I'm going to kind of settle on. Um, and a lot of times, we're more interested when something hits us, a, a, a moment or a trial at a, at a verse time, we try to figure out where it came from and why. Is that not true? We spend a great deal of time trying to figure that out. I'm going I'm to share with you today, that is truly a waste of your time. That will accomplish nothing. It's here. It's now. What are we going to do with it? And how can we use it for God's glory? Those are, the what and how questions are way more important than the why question. The why question, what it does is it launches everything back on ourselves and put the spotlight on me. Why did this happen to me? You see what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden, the focus is no longer anywhere but on ourselves. The why question is one you just need to throw out. I've been, I've been working on that in the last year. Forget about the why question. It doesn't accomplish anything. So the question, it's not a question of where did adversity come from? Like, for instance, Job. When Job, and we'll get into him in a, little, in a little bit, but in Job chapter 1, and you find how Satan literally comes as a roaring lion. He's an adversary. We even read it in 1 Peter chapter 5. He is an active destroyer. And he comes from walking across the earth, roaming. God said, what did you see? Did you see my servant Job? Oh, yeah, but why wouldn't he be on your team? You give him everything he wants. And God said, go ahead and take it away. How did Job respond? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Yeah. Right? <laughs> His wife struggled a little bit later to and out of we'll get into her in a second. But and then literally took his health away from me. You, you know the story. I, I don't want to get bound down because we're gonna keep moving today. But it's amazing. He was still focused very much on God, wasn't he? When did it change? Listen carefully. It's when his friends came to visit to tell him the reason he was suffering was because he had to have done something wrong. Now what did he do? Now he's in the self-defense mode. I did not do anything wrong. I'm pure. I'm clean. I'm... And you know what? He kept focusing upon himself and focusing upon himself. And then pretty soon, guess what he was asking? Why? And so the point of the matter is, is at the end, you go all the way to the back of the book. Now, of course, that's the nice thing about us. We can take the Bible, and we know how stories end. But sometimes it's important we get right there where the story is and just let it unfold for itself. Because at the end of Job, we find a couple of things happen. He had a much higher perspective of who God was, and he was a much better man. And God really blessed him through all of those things. So at... Excuse me? Excuse me? Those friends, he actually ended up praying for those friends so they got it right. And they kind of went home with their tails between the legs. You know, right? Now, I applaud them for coming. For the first moment, they said just the right things. They said nothing. Isn't that? And sometimes the true friends are those that sometimes are just there for you. you, you know, and you know what I'm talking about. You just, you just want to know they're there for you. And it was great. But when they opened their mouth, oh, right? It just went downhill. 
And, and actually, uh, back to Lynn, what you said, you know, Job's wife. Just think about that for a second, to watch all of these things that would have went through her family as well. She watched all of her family disappear, all of their wealth, whatever it was, it's gone. And then to watch what happened to her husband. I'm probably a little bit softer than some that they really want to take a shot at her. I'll tell you what, when a wife that is that attached to her husband for that period of time to watch all of that go away, she just finally just lost it. But Satan was using that as an opportunity. Yeah, what? Job, just curse God and die. And what did Job respond? You're talking like a foolish woman, right? Now, I don't know what happened to her. But apparently she still stayed in the picture. But I, I, anyway, we've got to keep moving. We've got to keep moving. I've got to keep moving. got to keep moving. Um, what, I want to, what I want to do with our time today, at least initially, is I want to look at, uh, for instance, let's, let's say, um, have you ever been on a basketball team or a football team or an athletic team and, and you're, you really have done pretty well and you have a game and you stunk? You looked terrible. And it was like nothing's working, nothing at all is gelling, and you just, let's get this game over with. Have you ever been in one of those games? I have. We had a lousy team to start with, and, and we couldn't wait. And you know what? One of the things the coach would do, this was in basketball, the next practice, he'd hold the basketball. Men, this is a basketball. <laughs> We're going to start back at the beginning. We're going to work on fundamentals. We're going to work on basics. We're going to have you get back to the roots of what this game is about. Uh, now, I'm not asking you to incriminate. How many of you have had that conversation with a coach? Just me. Okay, very good. <laughs> One more honest person. But it, ask the coach, the coach, not so fast. <laughs> yeah, slow down, right? But the point of the matter is, actually, that's really what the game of a lot of is, is basics. There's nothing much different about your spiritual walk. And I'm asking today that is the sense that we consider getting in God's will, understanding the, the significance of commitment. Let's get back to the basics. These are things, these are attitudes, because how you think will be how you live. Yeah. Let me say that again. Yeah. How you think is how you will live. Yeah. You're not going to live before you think about how you're living. You're thinking, and that becomes life. That's truly the way it works. So it's important then that we think properly before certain things come at us. So I'm going to call it an attitude. These attitudes must be prevalent in how we're living. Correct? So given that, we read 1 Peter chapter 5 because I thought there were several things in there that would allow us, in the sense of adversity or trouble coming at us, then when it comes that we're able to attack it using fundamental attitudes about where this is. Now, uh, sometimes if adversity comes to you and you're not prepared, what do you do? You guys can answer, what happens when here comes this, whew, you just blindsides you, just wipes you down. What, what happens? What do you do first? What do you do? Now, now, don't be too spiritual. You're in church, and yes, I'm looking for right answers. But I want you also to be honest, because the world outside this door is real. You step out here, that's real stuff. So how do we respond typically? How, and, and, with anger. A lot of times it is anger, isn't it? It is anger. What else? Frustration. Frustration? Pity. Pity. A lot of times, isn't it? You get into that party and there's only three there, me, myself, and I, mm-hmm. and you don't know who's in charge. How can I take care of it? How can I take care of it? That's exactly, we, we personalize it. That's a great, great, because that's literally what we do. We first of all, how am I going to fix this? What am I going to do about this? 
Do you see it? Now, did you notice in most of uh, any, anything else? Let's keep adding to it. So far, it's right down where I wanted to go. Fear. fear. Yeah. Fear of the unknown. Fear of what it looks like. The overpowering, the overwhelmingness of all of that. What else? Excuse me? Sleepless nights. What causes those? Worry. Worry. And worry and fear, oh, they're, twin. they're just cousins, aren't they? No, they're twins. I think they're almost twins. Did you, did you see? Now, what you did, I don't remember. I should have written them down. But you, every single one of those that you mentioned, which are absolutely real-world situations, that's usually how it's responded to. Every single one of those, you are the one that's being focused on. Why are you fearful? Because I can't fix it right now. I'm working on it, but I can't fix it. Okay? You're overwhelmed. Why? Because, ah, it's too much for me. Do you see it? Every single one of those. Anger. The reason you're angry is because it offended or pushed you outside of a, a zone that you thought was yours. Now, the one you didn't mention, because it's a little bit hidden in the sense of, of adversity, is pride. Because how do you respond in pride? What's the prideful response to adversity? Why me? Or actually, it sums up in everything else you said. You just look at yourself. What can I do? You, do you, it's so prevalent. So that's one of the things, actually, that Paul, I'm sorry, Peter starts with. The first thing he wants, basically, to make sure you understand totally and completely is be humble. Be humble. Tell me about humbleness. How many of you guys have been practicing this? How many got a degree in humbleness? Did you? You just lost it, partner. <laughs> right? And thanks for making yourself an example. But that was great. Because as soon... Excuse me, go ahead. I'm working with you. Yeah, yeah, you are working. You're helping me. Because quite honestly, that was just the guy I was looking for. Because I'm humble. I was humble. <laughs> yeah, whoops. Yeah, exactly. Because as soon as you, as soon as you recognize your humbleness, it was, it, it's gone, right? We talked about one of my favorite, um, you guys need a little air conditioning going on? There's a lot of hot air at the front here, right? No. <laughs> so, um, come back to it first. Let's see. Where were we at? Help me. Oh, <laughs> definition of, of humility or humbleness. What, let, let's talk about that. Somebody define that for me. Let's go with it. I've, I've got my favorite one, but go ahead. What? Yeah, not the, in other words, let, and let's preface it by saying it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Yeah, or not thinking of yourself at all. That's right. By the way, the way you said that is to think, as, as John the Baptist said, he said, Jesus Christ, he must increase and I must decrease. That's a beautiful picture. Yes. This is the essence of submission. Humility. Yeah, it is the essence. It is the essence. Of submission. In fact, Philippians chapter 2, we're not going to go there today, but write it down. That's, that's, a, that's a chapter you just need every time that you're wondering about pride and you're talking, wondering about humility. You watch our Savior Jesus Christ to have that mind in you that was in him. Literally, now we're talking about God himself becoming in human form. I can't, I can't give a likeness of that. I cannot give a likeness of that. That's so over the top. It would, you know, like a man becoming like a slug. No, that doesn't even do it justice. How would you like to wake up tomorrow morning and you are a worm? Huh. That doesn't even do it justice. We're talking about God the Creator becoming a baby. 
and committed to being in submission to the very death on a cross because man who he created caused it to happen. And he signed up for it. That is humility. Because he was concerned about others. Humility. Let's go to our text today. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. You probably still have your Bibles open there. And let's take a look at this in uh, verse... The last part of verse 5, it says, All of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud. Now, when be clothed with humility. Now, I'm, I'm going to take a shot at this without trying not to get in trouble. But we could bring in one size shirt and it would not fit everyone in this room. If everyone's okay with that? I hope I said that in a way not to... In other words, in other words, there's not a one-size-fits-all in the sense of clothing. Okay, you guys are really tentative right now. <laughs> and I, that's all I'm going to say about it. I'm just going to leave it there. But what he says is he says, I want you all to be clothed with humility. Humility is a one-size-fits-everybody. You, as a Christian, need to be humble. He's always wanted that. That's always in the, in the face of Jesus Christ. In fact, let's go fur- further to, um, toward one another. But he also goes on to say, uh, God resisteth the proud, gives grace to the humble. Now, how many of you need grace today? Every hand should fly in the air. And if you're proud here today, grace isn't going to come to you. It's not going to come to you. In fact, let's go to a couple of verses. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 34. Proverbs 3, verse 34. <clears throat> Proverbs three thirty four. Surely he scorneth, now speaking of God, surely he scorneth the scorners, but he giveth grace unto the lowly or the humble. Turn back now all the way on the other side of, uh, go to James chapter 4. I should have started there because you've been closer, but that's okay. James... Find Hebrews, and then you'll find James. And chapter 4 and verse 6 says ultimately the same thing. James is that rubber-meets-the-road kind of a guy. He's Mr. Practical. He was a half-brother to Jesus Christ. Can you imagine James in that situation? Oh, yeah, Jesus again, the perfect one. Right, right, exactly. In fact, it says that his family didn't believe in Jesus. He did not believe in him. They thought he was... Well, one of the things, you know what? I'm pretty sure there would have been some sense of resistance and pride and anger against this mama's favorite perfect one, right? But when he died on a cross and was in a grave and rose again and appeared to James, it says, he was a believer. I'm going to tell you something. That does it for me as well. That's why I'm here today. If Jesus Christ had not risen from the dead, I would not be standing before you today because there would be no reason because if you can't conquer death, I'm not interested. Because that's the ultimate enemy we have. And Jesus got her done. And no one else has. Muhammad failed. Buddha failed. Hare Krishna failed. I could go on for the rest of the day. They're still lying in state. Jesus Christ at the right hand of God. That is impressive. That's the Jesus we're talking about. In fact, we'll be talking about Job in a minute in regards to him even declaring that. 
Where did I tell you to go? James chapter 4, verse 6, it says, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. That's actually following exactly what Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34 was. Now, one of the, one of the things that Jesus could have been described as after the fact, and in Mark it talks about him being a servant. He came to serve. He came to serve. God, the Son, the Son of Man, came to serve. One of the things that just hit me this, this morning as I was studying was, and I've, I've, I've illustrated this during our time of, of communion, in the fact that Jesus was a foot washer. He was a foot washer. How many of you ever wanted to desire to be a foot washer? <laughs> Doesn't pay very well, does it? In fact, it's not even to be, in other words, if you were a servant, at a, at a house or a place of residence and when the, the guests would come in and your job was to wash feet. You didn't sign up for that, right? That was a servant's job. I'll tell you what, I am convinced that you talk about Jesus getting their attention because they were, they were arguing on that night. Uh, I'm going to be greater than you are, John. No, 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 Peter. You listen to me. And it was, it was this, this, this back and forth. I'm going to be, I'm in, I'm in Jesus' cabinet. I'm going somewhere. You, and it was just, and Jesus must have listened. Oh, well, let's see. How can I show them? And he starts washing their feet. Gets down on the ground and wash. And then Peter, of course, right? Oh, no, 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 no. You're not washing my feet. I should be washing yours. And then Jesus said, well, if I don't wash you, you're none of mine. Well, then wash everything. Wash my neck, my head, everything. No, just your feet is all we need to do here. Do you see that? That got their attention. Service, servanthood, humility. Those are things that speak with raging loudness in a world that's consumed by itself. Let's look at uh, Micah. Can you find Micah today? Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Micah chapter 6, for you that are going by page numbers, it would be on page 1,340. Oh, that's in my Bible. I'm sorry. Micah chapter 6, verse 8. God is going to answer something, and it's interesting that shows up again in the sense of humility. Verse 8, chapter 6 of Micah says this. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. He being God, he showed you, O man, what is good. This is what he wants from you. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Isn't that beautiful? That's a relationship that's going to be profoundly blossoming. Humility. Well, let's move on because we've got several points today. Uh, we move from humility then into, let's go back to our text, into 1 Peter chapter 5, and let's find where he goes next. And Peter writing this epistle, he's closing up the letter, if you will, and he's laying some things out. It's almost like staccato. It's like bullet points. Boom, do this, 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 this. And you almost have to like take a st- Wait, stop. I want to get, get a handle on this one. That's what he's doing here. But watch now. Verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Again, you see the sense of that humility. But look at verse 7. I want to just actually, I'm going to read the verse, and then we want to look at one, one, one word of it. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Now, is that one of your favorite verses? 
First Peter chapter 5, verse 7, man, that's been one of my go-tos, right? When things are tough, that's where I want to go. Have you ever thought about the word casting? Casting. Throw, okay? To throw, okay? There's another, word, another place in the New Testament this word is used, again, with the same meaning. And you'll find it back in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 and verse 35. Let's go there for a moment. Now, it has nothing to do with the context of what we're talking about, but it's the same word that we find in 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, Luke chapter 19 and verse 35. At least I hope I'm right. Yeah, there it is. Uh, Luke chapter 19 is talking about, you remember the, that, um, oh, the, the week before what we call Resurrection Sunday, it was Palm Sunday, okay? So here we go. And he is in, he came close to Bethphage. In verse 29, let's go all the way down to verse 33. Verse 32. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them, as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto him, Why loose you the colt? And they said, The Lord hath need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. So literally, it's just like if you were saddling your horse, it'd be like throwing a blanket on it. Throwing it on it, just as, as Ernie kind of made mention to. That is the same word, ra, R-A, that you find in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. Casting your cares upon Jesus. Literally, all of these anxiety, all these adverse ad- adversarial moments, these things that are challenging and these things that are holding you up and binding you tight, literally throw them on Jesus. That to me, that is a perfect picture of what I need to do with my problems. Just throw them on Jesus. And you know why I can do that? Because the end of the verse tells me. This is, what's, this is the impressive part. I want you to hang on to this no matter what. Because anxiety, rather than asking, why did this happen? Where did that come from? What was the reason for that? When you look at the last part of verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 5, it says this. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. He careth for you. I want you to mark that. That is so important. No matter what happens, no matter how disastrous it may look for a moment, you can trust him because he cares for you. And you say, well, yeah, duh. I'll tell you when you don't believe that is when you're doing all this stuff by yourself trying to figure out how to get out of this adversity. He cares for you. He's on your team. All of those cares, discontent, discouragement, despair, questioning, wondering, pain, suffering, anxiety. I want to take you to an example of a woman. Last week we talked about two women, Esther and and, uh, Ruth, that were literally very, very committed regardless of circumstance or consequence. I'd like you to take you to another woman today that really, I think, probably did this casting her cares on God as well as anyone. And let's go all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. And those of you that are, that are going back to that, you're already, you probably know which one we're talking about. We're going to kind of dial in here. I know that I'm going to leave you to uh, read the first part of that. Chapter 1 and verse 1, you'll find the unfolding of this family. Elkanah was a, a man who had two wives. And one was Hannah and one was Peninnah. Uh, let's see, Peninnah, right? Okay. And one of them, Peninnah, she had children. And Hannah didn't have any children. And you know, can you imagine in that home, 
little strife going on? Oh, come on, guys. It would be terrible, wouldn't it? It would be awful. In fact, Panana... And, don't have any kids over there, do you, Hannah? And it would be horrible. Horrible. It would be as bad and as distasteful a relationship going on in there. But it does say that Elkanah, her husband, loved her very much. And I'm sure he was doing his best. Can you imagine, again, the challenges going on in this household? But let's go to... Um, in fact, let's catch that into place here. Let's go to verse 5, chapter 1 of 1 Samuel. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, talking of Elkanah, and for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary, it's amazing, uh, that not mentions an adversary, which would have been her, what would you call the other wife to her? An adversary, right? I think it's pretty well named, actually. Her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. At, at verse 6, you can just see it loaded with contention and adversary. And verse 7, and as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. Let's describe Hannah's life right now. It's not fun. There's no joy. Verse 8, then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? Why eatest thou not? Why is your heart grieved? Am Am I not better to thee than ten sons? In other words, he's trying to say, I'm your husband. I love you. Isn't, am I not worth nothing? You know, just add guilt to the poor woman now, right? Ah! Verse 9, so Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now, Eli the priest sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. Now, now what you have to understand is they would have been traveling from a place in Israel to, to this for a, for a feast in, in Jerusalem, okay? So... Now, Eli the priest is sitting there. He's watching all of these events. In verse 10, watch. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. Again, do you see, do you see the difficulty of the situation? She is beside herself. Verse 11. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. It came to pass as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli marked her mouth, or he was watching her. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, but only her lips moved. Have you ever, have you ever been in those moments? Yes, you have. I know you have. When it's really serious stuff, and you may be... You may. Right? And you're talking to yourself. You're speaking in your heart. And if you're on the outside like Eli, he says this. Now, you, you just probably can't make her life any more complicated than it's about to get right now. So here you have the priest, her religious person that really should kind of be propping her up. Right? Watch this. Verse 14. I'm sorry. Verse 13. Now, Hannah, she spake in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said to her, How long will you be drunken? Put away the wine from yourself. Oh, where do you think Hannah's at right now? Oh, oh, right? It's as bad as you'd make it. See, I want to get you there. Now, you all know the story. Stop that. Right here she is. She has no child. She has a loving husband. And she is distraught because of all of the challenge and adversity going on in her home. Let's keep going. Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. 
poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thy handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way. Now watch. And did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. What happened? Did she have a kid? That's right. She cast her care upon God. Situation had not changed. Same husband, same childlessness, same adversary, same, right? Do you get it? Did you see this? This is really, really important. She was casting her care upon God. That is huge because now everything is different, even though it's the same. That's exactly what Peter has in mind. Let's go to uh, Psalm chapter 55 on your way back. Psalm chapter 55, verse 22. Oh, oh, no, stop. Stop for a second. This would have been her low. Would you not have said this was the low point? Just before, now, now she's filled with joy. You can see joy. She's eating. Her countenance is returned. She's, she's in good shape. Do you know, you all know that she had Samuel, right? In fact, next year she had Samuel and she chose not to go. And it was a time, we don't know exactly how old he was, but when she gave him back to Eli to be in service for the Lord, you know about him. But did, did she... Did she, did she have any other children? Let's go to chapter 2, verse 21. Chapter 2, verse 21. It says this. The Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bare three sons and two daughters. And the child Samuel grew before the Lord. Whoa, right? It's awesome. Now, that's... Now, another, well, I'm going to stop right there. But you talk about a woman that figured it out to cast her cares on, 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 the, on God. What an awesome thing. Let's go to Psalm chapter 55, verse 22, as we turn back. Psalm 55 and verse 22. Psalm 55, 22 fits it perfectly. Again, we see that same word, cast. Are you all there? 55, 22. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. What a beautiful verse. Make that one part of your memory. Make that part of what you're doing. So we have the basics in the sense of commitment and being in God's will is humility and casting your care. Trusting. What's another word for that? I forgot to tell you. If you're casting your care, what would be another word? I just gave it away. Did you guys catch it? Oh, thank you very much, dear. Yes. Trusting. That's, That's literally what Hannah did. She was exhibiting trust. Nothing could change. Think of Abraham. Think of Abraham going up the mountain with his son. And I know we've talked about this all the time. If you want to talk about a father's tough moment, it would be when he took his teenage son. He said, we're going to go sacrifice to the Lord. And that was not an uncommon thing because obviously they'd done it before. Uh, Failing to get his name, Isaac, they take the wood. They've got the fire. It's a three-day journey. They go to the bottom of Mount Moriah. The servants stay behind. They're walking up the hill. Isaac says, hey, Dad, we got the fire. We got the wood. Where's the sacrifice? I talk about a time of testing for Abraham. Well, I don't know. I don't know what God's doing. He told me to just go up here and he wants to sacrifice you. And I can't believe he'd do that. I'm so sick and tired of God. I just, I'm really tired. No, he didn't do that, did he? How did I do? Was that, was that, that was really cool. You didn't see that coming, did you? Yeah, it was pretty good. But you know what he did say? He said this, and this is exactly what we're talking about, trust. God will provide. Isn't that beautiful? God will provide. 
He will provide, even when it looks impossible. This looked impossible. In fact, it looked really impossible. For the, you know God is never early? Have you noticed that? If you haven't, you will. But I'm here to say he's never late either. He's right on time. Jesus came exactly for the right time, Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. In the fullness of time, Jesus Christ came. Just for you at that adversarial moment, you can't take another step, another moment. God's right there for you. He knows. He knows exactly where you need to be and where he needs to be. But at any rate, so here's Abraham. And he had, now Isaac's starting to figure this thing out about the time the ropes come out and he's tied down to the wood. Hey, Dad, what, what's going on here? But you know what? I guarantee you that Isaac was trusting in his father as well because he had implemented with him the trust of a God that could be trusted. And as he raised his hand, because Abraham, if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, you'll find out that literally Abraham believed that even if it would require God to raise Isaac from the dead because God had promised him that he would have a huge heritage that would come through Isaac. There was no misnomers. There was nothing. Do you see what? Now, that's trust. That's living trust. And that's when God says, stop. And Isaac, whew, <laughs> whew. And then, amazing, isn't it? Amazing. At just the right time, because this would, be a, this would be a sacrifice moment, at least in that day and age. Where's the ram? Oh, look at this. There's one caught in the thicket over here. Isaac, why don't you go grab the sacrifice that I said God would provide? Isn't that beautiful? That's absolutely beautiful. It's beautiful. I'm going to take just a second because I don't like to like a lot of things, but it seems, it seems this way also in a trust right now. Remember, there was several weeks ago I asked you to pray because we had one-third of the pasture that we needed for this year. That's a little tenuous, right? That's a little faith-freaking-out kind of thing, right? Well... <clears throat> I don't know how I can make this short, but I'm going to try to make it short. Um, by the way, it's interesting. When one solution comes, there's a lot of other problems behind that one, right? Okay? And, but trust goes on. Okay, so we have one-third of the grass requirements for this year. Um, the week of our bull sale, which would be April, a man, I'm going to try to need, leave people nameless because I think it's just better that way. But here's a guy that I knew, I've known for several years, quite, maybe longer than that. And he would be someone that would tell you that I've done a lot of stuff for him. Uh, to me, it was nothing. It was just little things. You know, we would just, if you needed something, I would do that. But no, no big deal. It's just, again, it's helping where you can help. And you guys are all really good at that. So here it is. Uh, like a Monday or Tuesday of sale week. Fr sale was on Friday, April 12th. So it would be like 7th, 8th, somewhere in there. Hadn't talked to him for a couple of years. Hey, Larry, this is so-and-so. I don't know. I've been just sitting here thinking, and I think you need to call on this ranch. It's just like the Holy Spirit told me to call you today. Okay. And I said, I don't have any way to get in. I mean, and I knew the ranch, but there had been a lot, of, a lot of interest, and I just said, that's outside of my league. It just doesn't, there's no in. You know what I'm talking about. It's, all, it's about connections, isn't it? You've got to know, it's all connections. And so I'm actually discounting it, but I appreciate him calling. I mean, that's cool. And then he says, well, he names a lady. And I were talking the other day about such and such. And he, the, name, the name is different enough. I said, who did you say? And he named her again. And he says, do you know her? I said, yeah. as a matter of fact, I do. I said, the month of June last year is Lisa... And I were in the sixth floor in St. V's Hospital. Her son 
was in a serious car accident and he was going through brain trauma and I met his wife and his mother, who is this woman you named, was coming in and trading kids out. And so we spent a lot of time in the waiting room just visiting. So in, interestingly enough, I do know her. And he says, she knows this owner of this ranch better than probably anyone. Oh. What's her number? Do you see, do you see this? Now, this is, this is a God thing unfolding, right? So I make the call and renew, renew the contact. Oh, yeah, Larry, absolutely, I remember you. Sure, absolutely. In fact, and then she names her, her son and daughter. They actually have your Christmas letter on their fridge. I'm living with them right now. And so it was really cool. And I said, well, this is why I'm calling, and I go through that. I'm, I'm, this story's going too long, isn't it? I, I got to keep moving. But so long and short of it, so we go over, and, and I'm going to have to cut some stuff out. Okay. And then we get, we meet. There's two of us that are really wanting to lease the whole ranch, and then that guy goes away, and so it's, it's us, okay. And I had made an offer on the entire ranch in an email, and she had part of the ranch leased up for this season to another gentleman, part, just part of the farming part, okay, which is all good. And I said, it's no problem. We don't, we don't want anything different. So I said, just tell me what it is, and then I'll deduct that. I didn't use the word deduct. I said, we'll, we'll adjust the acreage depending upon what he has, okay. So, yeah, and it takes a while. You know how it is. It just takes time. So she calls me and gives me that. I said, I'll get back to you tomorrow morning. So I get back tomorrow morning. I gave her the price with the, you know, the, the stuff. And she says, oh, well, that's, that's way less than what you had said. And I said, well, well, if you notice on the email, it said for the ranch in its entirety. And I mean the whole thing. It's, it's like, take, have you ever had ice water on a fire? It doesn't even have to be ice water. But I'm making, I'm making it worse. It's gone. It's out. And I said... Okay, um, well, let me think about it. This, this, you know, I mean, it just seems we're done here. This, this, this is done. And so, you know, now the next, what do you think I'm doing the next day? Okay, God, what, what are you doing here? What's the plan? I mean, what did I miss? It just seems like everything's flowing along and it just seems right, and, and I don't know what to do. So a couple of days go by. Oh, you know what I did that day? There was another ranch that I had over in, uh, that I've been working on for the whole winter. And I said, you know what, I better do something here. So by that night, we'd found grass for about half of the cattle. Is this taking too long? You guys okay? I'm sorry. I, I don't know how to do it quick. I'm not very good at it. So anyway. Hey, don't quit now. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I'm sorry. I can't finish. So and that, and that finally came together. And so that's, and then it was like, well, we got something now, right? Okay. So two days go by. And I don't really know what to do with this situation. Because she had asked me, said, I want you to give me your best offer right away. I don't want you to play any games with me. And I, and I didn't. It was the best offer I could do. And so it's, that was a Tuesday, it's a Thursday. I, today's D-Day, I'm over there driving a tractor and just, you know how, have you ever had those things? You, you, and what I'm trying to do is justify my, my, my offer. That's what I'm doing. I'm just saying, this is a good offer, this is why I'm doing it. Guess who calls me that morning? The same guy that called me and said, you should look at it. He called me, hey, Larry, I don't know, I was walking across the yard this morning. I, I'm just supposed to call you. How's it going? I said, honestly, I don't think we got, I, I think it's, I think we're done. So I told him that they offered me, he said, Larry, that's a really good offer. But one of the things that we talked about was it would be a one-year deal, first of all, and then, you know, add on to it. And he said, you know what you need to do? You need to have a long-term lease on that. And that's like, sure I do. That's, <laughs> it doesn't work that way anymore. It's just, you know, it's tough to do that, right? 
But I'm, and so we chit-chat, and I said, hey, thanks for calling. That was, that was awesome. If, if nothing else, we're just, he said, I'm going to be praying. I'm going to be praying for you all day long. And so we're praying. And there's other people praying about this, right? In fact, you guys were praying about this. That's why I'm telling you this. I'm trying not to bore you, but, I mean, you guys are praying, and I think that's important. Because see how God works. So I got through the morning, and finally, about noon, I call her, and I say, I'm going to come over this afternoon. Is that okay? And we'll just visit. And she said, oh, yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. So I come into the house, and it's, the table's cleared off, and she's got a notebook and all those legal pads, and she's ready. You can just tell, right? She said, well, what do you have for me? I said, well, first of all, I have to be very clear. The offer I made, I made to you on a one-year deal, it was the best that I could do because to, for me to do any different, would, then I would have been dishonest with you. And she said, I respect that very much. Here's what I need to do. Or I feel this is what, what I need to do. I said, and I don't know why. This is, I said, I need a seven-year lease. You're not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I need pasture. It's a big enough place to make that work. I need a seven-year lease. And so I had some, there were some other things, and then I was able to, through the seven-year, you're able to add some money because it makes sense then long-term. So, I, and I laid it all out, and I said to her, I said, if you want to sleep on that or whatever you want to do, I, that's fine with me. She said, no, Larry, that's a deal. Now, it has taken, that's been about a month and a half ago, and it took that long, but finally this week, we finally got it signed because we had attorneys. On, you know, have you ever been around attorneys? Is there any attorneys in here? You need to go to the bathroom because I'm going to talk about you. Okay. They can make things very challenging. And it was, you know, oh, my goodness, right? But, again, now, now, here's, now here's the next thing, though. Now it's happened, and I'm fearful because there's a whole lot of stuff that I don't know how we're going to get done or pay, right? But you see what? It, it's all about trusting all the time, trusting every moment. Now, I shared that because you guys were praying. That's a really cool story, isn't it? And I didn't make it up. It's real. That's the really cool part. Oh, right? Okay, now let's get back to what we were talking about. I thought it fit the trust deal really, really well. Because that's what, that's what our life is all about. It's, that's, those are real situations. And is God real? You better believe it. You better believe it. You better believe it. Okay, let's go to uh, what was number one? Humility. What was number two? Trusting or casting, trusting, remembering that he cares for you. There's no one that cares for you more than God. Now, the next one we find in the next verse, let's go back to, to 1 Peter chapter, uh, chapter 5. Let's go there quickly, try to rebuild this. Chapter 5, and let's look at verse 8. So we have humility, we have trusting, and the reason you trust him is because he loves you, he cares for you. Now, watch verse 8. Be sober... Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Let's break it down again. We find staccato terms, just boom, 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 boom. First one is be sober. Now, when I say that, be sober, what do you think of? You know, I haven't even written anything on the board today. I guess I haven't needed to, right? Okay, that's okay. In fact, what we should do is we should be writing down our points as we go. Our first one was humility. And number two was trusting and number three be sober what does that mean serious Serious. self-control being very focused sometimes when we see sober it's like the opposite of sober would be drunk drunk. you bought right into it actually and and you think about it when someone is drunk 
they're really not in control of themselves. Something else is controlling something else. And this is, this is what, what Peter's trying to say. Be very direct, very self-controlled in what you're saying. Let's take a look at, for instance, stay in uh, 1 Peter, but go to chapter 1, verse 13. And again, we're back to the same, that right thinking, right attitudes prepare us for right living. So let's look at verse one, chapter 1, verse 13. Again, you'll find a term here, that one that you probably didn't use this week. Verse 13 says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. <laughs> how, many, <laughs> how, many, how many of you have been girding up your loins of your mind this week? That's focus. <laughs> okay. I'm going to, just, just for the sake, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it out of my NLT. And it, it's a little bit different, but it, I'll tell you what, it speaks loud. Verse 13, chapter 1, says this. If I can find it. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Isn't that beautiful? Exercise self-control and prepare your minds for action. Does that not sound like exactly what we need to be doing? If you want to be back to the basics, prepare your mind. Prepare your mind in self-control. And then actually in, in chapter 4 of the same uh, epistle, chapter 4 of First Peter, look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand, and be ye therefore sober, focused, if you will, and watch under prayer. So I'm going to go, uh, I'm just going to go with focused. That's one of my favorite words. Focused. In fact, let's look at a few more uh, scripture references. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And let's look at a couple of them there. Chapter 5, verses 6 and 8. Verse 6 says this. Chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Verse 8, same chapter. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet and the hope of salvation. I'm gonna, so let's put, it, let's put it in a different light. Let's read verse, uh, was it verse 5 or verse 6. Let's see, just a second. Yeah, verse 6, therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. How many are sleeping in the United States today? And I'm not talking physical sleep. I'm not talking about that, although I've just about got most of you to sleep. But that's not what I'm talking about. That was not a question for you. How many of you are sleeping? Please don't raise your hand. No, I... <laughs> that was, I just woke him up, didn't I? I'm sorry. Kai, you're okay. You're a good, good, good buddy. You just, there we go. <laughs> oh, bummer. Look at me, Lynn. I'm gonna, he can take my loud voice, but just don't, just don't bark commands. But, but let's think of that. What's, you know, the United States today, I'd have to say, not only are we deceived, and I'm talking about we as a nation right now, deceived, blinded, we're asleep. We're not sober. We're not, we're not exercising the sense of focus upon what is true. Isn't that true? It's really true. Really true. One of the things, the basics of getting it right. Let's turn to 1 Timothy. There's a lot of stuff in these latter. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. Now, this is directions to those of leaders in the church. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. And then he actually, you'll find in verse 11, it uh, talks about... Their wives, it says, even so must their wives be grave, not slanderous, sober. You find it again. Very focused, self-control. Very, very important. Very, very important. 
Now we go to the next one, and actually it's the next point, and you probably vote, we already read it, but let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll find it in verse 8 as well. How are you doing in your Bibles? Are you getting hot? All right. It says, uh, verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant. What do you mean vigilant? Be vigilant. How many of you are being vigilant? I'm I'm not going to use that word because how many used vigilant this week? You didn't, did you? In fact, maybe when I say vigilant, you know what comes to your mind as us living here in this part of the valley, Ruby Valley, is vigilantes, right? Right? How did you guys do? Oh, you didn't go there. Okay, I thought, well, you know, that's pretty close. The vigilantes. What's that? See, see what I'm saying? Because just living here in this part of the world, actually, that's, it, it seems to fit. But to be vigilant, tell me what we, you're going to be vigilant. Be Excuse me? Be alert. be alert. That's exactly what I like. I like that. Be alert. To be alert. Why are, you, why are we supposed to be alert? Now, we're talking to Christians. These are basics. These are things. It'd just be like taking a basketball team and saying, we're going to go through the fundamentals so that we can actually play a good game next time. This is the same thing for us to be prepared, our attitudes, our minds, all of that getting prepared for the sense of life as it unfolds. What are we supposed to be alert for? Yeah. Well, the verse actually unfolds it for us a little bit more because watch what we're supposed to be alert for. Here we go. Verse 8 says, be sober, vigilant, semicolon. Do you see it's part of the same thought process? Because your adversary, the devil... As a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He doesn't sleep. And he doesn't sleep. And if you are in doubt, you don't need to be. He's busy and he's got helpers. Be alert. What is the, the word that's uh, used for devil? In the English is a slanderer or diablos. My, uh, my, uh, my Mexican team sometimes, you know, we'll have those days. Have you ever had these days where everything breaks down? I mean everything you look at. And uh, uh, Benito has this, he has this saying, um, oh, man, Larry, there's too many problems today. Everywhere I go, there's a problem, there's a problem, there's a problem. And once in a while, I'll catch those guys saying, oh, the Diablos is here, the Diablos is here. <laughs> and they say it kind of jestingly, but at the same time, you know what? There's a lot of places. Job could have said that with truth, right? The Diablos was here. And he's my adversary. And he's looking to take us out. Now, it's, again, uh, Satan is, is it a roaring lion. Think of what he did to Job. We, we started. That's where our study started today. Think of what he did to Job. Wow. What was his purpose? Think about this for a second. Now, let's look at it this way. Adversity coming from Satan is to bring out the worst in us. Adversity used by God is meant to bring the best out of us. You see the difference? It's huge. But the point of the matter is, is even if adversity comes from Satan, and it's an onslaught from a spiritual attack of which it's amazing... The more you're in tune with what God wants you to do, the more you're in the circle of the adversarial arrows and attacks. He wants to take away everything that has to do with God's witness being expanded or promoted. He will do 
anything to silence testimony and your life. He can't do anything to your soul. He can't do anything to your, to your permanency, but he can destroy a lot of things. Now, what's that? He can destroy your faith. That's right. He can destroy your trust. In fact, that's one of the things we have. Do you see why we're doing this? Because these are the fundamentals. These are the basics for us not to fall prey to him. He can't, he can't steal us. He can't take us. Now, again, mark this carefully. Well, Larry, it sounds like, like you know, God can't keep track of all of us. Oh, no, 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 no. It was just like Job. He was never given any more permission than God gave him. That's important to know. And you know what? When it says in verse 7 that God cares for me, he literally could use difficult times, adversities, to make us better. Now, that doesn't seem right. But you know what? It's amazing in my own life, in my walk, the men and women that I have really respected in the sense of their walk spiritually with God, most of them have struggled and suffered to a large degree. And you know what? They have become more humble. They have become more trusting, more focused, and more alert in spiritual things. It's for our good. Not easy, but for our good. Satan's, uh, he has only, do you know he has only three ways to attack you? And you say, well, it seems like it's adequate to me. Let's go to 1 John for a moment. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And we'll look at verses 15 through 17. It literally condenses all down into these three things. Now, John, again, is speaking and loving God. He's talking about those that truly love him. And now he says in verses 15 of chapter 2 of 1 John, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, he's talking about the world system. He's not talking about planet Earth. He's talking about this system, this cosmos of which Satan literally is in control. Of. Verse 16, now watch. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So literally, every single thing that Satan is trying to destroy you by is in those three things. In other words, lusting for whatever you see, lusting for whatever I feel, and for the, literally the pride of the entire focus of life. How can I be better? How can I be more? How can, it's all about I, 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 I. All of that stuff is how... Satan attacks and becomes a roaring lion trying to seek to devour you. Now, it's amazing how subtle that is, isn't it? It's amazing. He doesn't come in at you. He doesn't walk through the door. And he, and he says, hi, I'm, I'm the devil, and I'm here to attack you. I want to destroy you, and I'm a roaring lion. In, in all reality, I'm a jerk. So watch out for me. No! He's very subtle, isn't he? He finds things that you're weak to. That literally, and again, it's not so much that he wants you to deny God as much as you think about anything other than God. Antichrist, that's really the best definition. It's not just against God, it's anything other than God. Is that not where our society is today? You better believe it. You better believe it. We're on fire for anything other than God. Now, in lieu of time, let's keep moving. Let's go to verse 9. Verse 9, 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 9 says, 
whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Now, that's, that's a little bit difficult to get a grip on, but it literally means this. You are not alone. Isn't that good news? Sometimes it's amazing how Satan wants you to think you're the lone person. You're the last one. And, and he divides and conquers. But I'll tell you what, when I know that my fellow brothers and sisters are going through some of the same things, that's why we're here today. That's why we're surrounding ourselves with the love and the energy and the enthusiasm of Jesus Christ. That's what get, in fact, well, someone turn to Hebrews chapter 10 and verses 25 and 26. Well, I write down, what was I going to write here? I was going to write, you are not alone. Now, that's not only to mention that we'll be looking at some verses in the relationship to how God respectfully is for us. But let's look at Hebrews chapter 10. Let's go there for a moment. Hebrews chapter 10. And let's look at this. This is a wonderful verse. Verses. Hebrews chapter 10. <clears throat> and I told you wrong. Let's go to verse 24 and 25. Now watch this. Talk about the sense of, of the, the, the beauty and the energy of a church, of a body of Jesus Christ. Watch verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love. In other words, to drive unto love and to good works. I mean, we're to encourage one another, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting, that is encouraging one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. See, the closer we get to the end, which I'm going to tell you what, we are one day closer to the end than we were yesterday. Whoa, that was deep. But you know what? Every generation has felt that Jesus Christ is coming back, right? I'm convinced we've never been any closer. How did I do? That was pretty good too, wasn't it? Whoa, way over the top, Copernicus. Share something really deep. Okay, but you know what? I'm looking, at, I'm looking at the events. I'm looking at the circumstances. I'm looking at all of the things that are taking place. Never, never, never have we seen times aligning to the book of Revelation. That technology that didn't make any sense to us 20, 30 years ago, it's all in place now. It's all right there. The attitude of the whole society, and I'm talking world. Do you see that one worldness that we're talking about? Do you see the trouble right now with all of the identi identity, uh, uh, what's the right word? Um, I'm going to say stealing identity, but theft. theft of identity, identity theft. There we go. I mean, literally, you can go in and, and steal the title of your home now. You can hack through that. Do you, see, do you see the sense of a permanency of an ID? Well, that doesn't look good. I just have it right here. I just have a chip right in my or a wrist or something, right? That would sell. We're doing it to dogs. We don't lose our dog. What do you think this next thing's coming on? You better be nodding. Your, I'm telling you, we're really, really close. And you know what? The closer we get to this, the further away we are from God because that's how it unfolds in Revelation. I tell you what, we're getting really, really close. Really close. And you know what? The closer we get to that, the more important it is for us to get together and to encourage one another for these days. We need to prepare with these same things. We need to uplift and encourage one another. I mean, what, what better things are for us to be talking about those things today? You've got ammunition tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. Right? Now, it's not, not to take away from your responsibility for yourself to get into it, but there's something that happens when we assemble together as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. There is energy and enthusiasm that comes to us, and our tanks are filled. And God wants our tanks filled. If you don't get in the car and uh, go to Denver, huh, I got an eighth of a tank. Think we can make it, honey? <laughs> of course not. And you know what, y'all? Talk about self-examination. Before you usually go on a long trip, you pop the hood, you open up. 
Oh, I won't check the oil today. I haven't checked it for three years. We don't need to do that, right? No, that's not how we, that's not how reality is. We check the oils. We take care of all of those items that could go wrong, right? And we want to adjust it. That is exactly what we're talking about now is preparing ourselves attitude-wise so that when something comes at us, the onslaught of the adversary, we're ready. We're ready. Okay, let's go to... Um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, in the sense of you are not alone. You are not alone. Verse 11 follows through in the same thing we just read in Hebrews. Verse 11 of chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians says, Wherefore, now what he's talking about is talking about the last day even to these in Thessalonica. In fact, I'm wondering if I should read that. Uh, I'm going to let you do that on your own. You read chapter 5. It's a wonderful chapter. And then he ends it in that section by saying this. Because of this, wherefore, verse 11, comfort yourselves together and edify or build one another up even as also you do. Isn't that beautiful? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I want to take you to another man, and we're going to do it very quickly because our time is is limited. We've only got seven hours left. What? No, well, really, we have seven hours left in this day. Now, I'm not saying we should use them all here, but, boy, you guys are just... Okay, but let's make it quick, because I want to talk about another person that literally, he was humble, and there's another adjective we're going to use. It usually never goes together with humility. Let 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 me have you now describe for me. You describe for me someone that is humble. Now, maybe not yourself. But let's describe someone else. If you see someone that is humble, what would we say about that person? I guarantee you're not going to get this one that that's okay. That's why it's going to make so much sense when we uncover it. A humble person is meek. Meek. Okay, let's describe meek. That's, that's an excellent, by the way. What is meek? Not haughty. Not haughty? He's what? Strength under control. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the best ways I can think of it is this way. Let's say that uh, someone was described as truly meek. That would be a person that could do some harm, do some damage, unload on you, but he or she has enough control not to do that because it's not in your best interest. Do you see what I'm saying? They would have the power to do a lot of things, but it's power under control. That's what a meek person does. That's what a humble person does. Very good. That's okay. You can, tell, you can call him back later. So, or actually, just put them on speakerphone. We'll have a good time. Okay, here we go. Now, what, what else would we say about a, a, a humble person? A humble person. Looks out for other people. There's a real service, isn't there? A servant. A, a humble person is very servant-oriented. Okay, what else? Anything? Excuse me? Smart. Okay. From whose perspective? From God's perspective, yes. He's a very wise person, isn't he? I like the word wise. They're applying God's knowledge, if you will. What else? You guys are out already? Strong. Strong in a very good way, right? Not, not to exercise strength, but they're, they, they can take... Yes. Absolutely. Alice just said this, and this is very... It takes strength to be humble. Would you not agree? Oh, my goodness. That is absolutely true. Very good. Anything else? Excuse me? Kind. That would, I, I totally agree. A humble person is very kind. Sees people through the lenses of God. Okay? Self, that, is, that is absolutely very, very true. Self-assured. They are very comfortable in where they're at. 
You show me someone that is uh, very prideful and haughty, most of the time they're very, very, um, oh, can't think of the right word. Excuse me? Self-centered. Yes, self-centered. Um, um, what's it? Insecure. Insecure. Usually the bigger the wall they build, the smaller they are behind it. Correct? Insecurity is a wicked, wicked thing. And it's actually fear causes a great deal of pride. Because you want to, you don't want to like blow yourself up, right? That didn't, that didn't go over very well. But anyway, that's okay. You know where I was at. Okay. Insecurity, actually. Okay. Um, anything else? Very, that's excellent. Transparent. There's no, there's no put on. There's no pretend. There's no hypocrisy. There's no, right? That's really true of a humble person. That's what I love about it. They're real. Real. What you see is what you get. Okay, if, if you're done, let's go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. And we'll start in chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And that is a wonderful chapter. I, 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 just due to time, I would like to start in verse 3, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to start in verse 8. Verse 8. And this is the beginning of the second letter to the, to the Christians at Corinth. And uh, they were the carnal ones. They were the ones that were struggling in a lot of ways. And here he goes. He's, in, he, he's, he's now basically giving them the, his gratitude for God's goodness. Verse 8, it goes this way. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Now, Many of you probably haven't been to that point. Some of you have been in despair. You've been in angst. You've been in, but and some of you may have. But you literally feel your life is to end, and there's nothing left. You are pressed out of measure. Been there? That's what he's talking about. Paul was on numerous occasions. But here we go. Now watch this, though. Watch this. Above strength, insomuch we despaired even of life. That's adversity on steroids. But, verse 9, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead, who delivered us from such a great death and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver. In other words, bringing this despair to where you're just smashed against this wall and there's no room left and you're finally down, there's nothing left. There was no one to trust, and no longer did they trust in themselves. They trusted in God. Now, do you see where that despair and that anxiety led? To Paul's betterment. Okay? Now let's go to chapter 4. Same, same, uh, same book, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And let's look at, again, verses 8 and 9. Now, how would you describe, how would you describe our servant Paul now in, in chapter 1? that we read in verses 8 and 9. What would you say? Does he fit the humble? Very, very much so. You find that in every place. You find it in every place you find Paul. Now, not when he was Saul. Not when he was Saul. But when he was Paul. That was a man that was made humble. He was humble. Now, let's look here. Verse 8. We are troubled. This is chapter 4. We are troubled on every side. You see it? Trouble. On every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, 
but not destroyed. I'm going to give you a word that fits now with the... If you're a Christian here today, and you're able to be humble and trusting and focused and alert for the adversary, knowing you're not alone, you know what? You read those two verses together, and it doesn't say it, but it does. You are invincible. Read it again. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. That is a beautiful description of invincible. How many of you see yourselves as invincible? It sounds proud, doesn't it? But no, when we're humble and we're literally... Um, in fact, if we, were, we should go somewhere else. Where did I was I even going to go? Oh, let's back up. Just back up just a second. Let's back up just a second. In chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians... Uh, Paul is actually giving this sense. He's being attacked from the outside. And he's wanting them to, to see that literally he is just seen as an earthly vessel. A clay pot. Okay? And what do, you, what, what do you know about clay pots? They break and they're... They're what? They're porous, okay. They're cheap. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just had to say that. right? Clay pots are not a lot of things, right? I mean... And, and so watch what he says this now. Watch what Paul says about... And this is just prefacing what he just said. Let's go to verse 7. Same chapter, chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. He says, but we have... I'm sorry, let's see. I should, I should start in verse 6. Verse 5. There we go. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts... To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. In other words, this whole beautiful treasure is living inside of Paul. Which is nothing more than an earthen vessel. But the power of it is what lives within it. The value then is because of what is within it. And he says, so if you guys are taking shots at me and you've distressed me and you've troubled me and you've done all of these, I'm sorry, troubled and persecuted me. He says, literally because of what lives within me, where's the power from? It's certainly not me. I'm just an earthen vessel. The power is from within. And that's why I'm invincible. That's the same with you today, folks. I know you find that hard to believe. That's a big word, invincible. But do you, you see that? No matter what happened to Paul, was Paul fearful of anything? What was Paul fearful of? I'm going to say absolutely nothing. For to me to live is, uh, for me to die is gain and to live is Christ. Did I get it wrong? Did I twist it? I think I did. I got it backwards. For me to die is gain. And to die is gain. There we go. Got it. But you know what I meant. It took longer to get there, right? What was he fearful of? Nothing. In fact, death to him was a promotion. I'm in the arms of Jesus. When you're a Christian, you have nothing to fear. And the really beautiful part is, is just the way he's described it. When I'm humble, when I'm literally, there's less of me. In fact, if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, don't do that. We're out of time. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, write it down, verse 7. You'll find that he, he had a thorn in the flesh. There was a reason for it. He had, he had went into the third heaven and was able to see things that no man had ever seen. He could have put up billboards saying, uh, meet the man that was in heaven. And he saw God and he has a whole story to tell you. Oh, I'd have gone to that one, right? 
But he was given a thorn in the flesh from the messenger of Satan. Why? So that he wasn't exalted above what he should have been. And what did he ask about it? You going through adversity today? He would, you could do the same thing he did. He prayed three times for it to be removed. Nothing in the world wrong with you asking for adversity to be removed. In his case, it was for his good and his glory, or for God's glory, because the less of Paul there was, the more there was of Christ, and in his weakened condition, the stronger he became. That's when he was invincible. That's when you're invincible is where you're full of Christ, and there's less of you. That's the deal. That's the deal. Yes. Look at chapter 4, verse 4. Absolutely. Let's go there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. Satan is an adversary that is blinding a whole nation, a whole world. Now, I will say this. Let's say the unsaved, those that have their minds blind, that's as far as Satan really needs to go with it. They're they're his then at that point. Deception, that's as good as he needs to get. But if you're a Christian, you need to be alert because he's as a roaring lion looking to destroy you and your testimony and everything that has to do with you and your families. Be alert. But that's, Mark, excellent. That's exactly where we are. The God of this world. Satan has blinded the minds of those. I was, uh, I had a couple of, there was a quote from, from um, Warren Wiersbe I was going to just share with you. Oh yeah, here it is. This is good. God doesn't always change the circumstances, but he can change us to meet the circumstances. That's what it means to live by faith. That's really good. Warren Wiersbe said that. It's really good. You know, stars can't shine if it wasn't dark. And that's why in the world in which we find ourselves living today, as blinded as their their eyes are, they can't argue with the light of Jesus Christ in your life. Yes? That's how we should think of prayer. We can't change God with prayer, but he can change God. Absolutely does. In fact, that's the purpose of prayer. That's one of the things congregationally why we're doing here is we want to get our wills aligned with God's will. And the more we pray, the more we become like him. And the more we become like him, the closer he is to us. You know, that's the one thing. I wish God, where, you're so far away. That usually tells me the fact I haven't been talking to him enough. Because the more I speak with him, the more I'm like him, I'm more becoming conformed to the image of his son, the more I'm following after his attributes that he lays out as being really important, then he's nearer. The more like you're someone, the nearer they are. Isn't that true? It's absolutely true. Very good point. Prayer is essential to all of that. Another one from, uh, from uh, Dr. Wiersbe. A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. Not true? If you've got faith, it will be tested so that it can be trusted. Abram, he didn't walk up the mountain with his son Isaac on the first day. No, no, no. His faith had been tested through those, those 25 years of which he and his, his wife remained childless in the sense from God's eyes. Those were years of growing faith. And when finally Isaac rises on the scene, you know what? Massive amounts of faith were, were his. 
And that's why he could go up the mountain later because he had been growing and he had been sanctified, set apart for the purposes of God one day at a time. And if you're in the middle of adversity today, it's going to sound weird. Rejoice because he's doing it because he's making you stronger, better, and more fit for him. And you say, it doesn't feel any better. It doesn't have to. You know, what did 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, this is the key. Not just casting your cares on him. He careth for you. I want to take a couple more. Just, are you okay? Just a couple more verses that I want to share with you in, in, in relationship to this. Are you okay? Too bad. Nobody said no. Okay. Let's go to this real quickly. Um, I'm going to read uh, uh, Psalm chapter. You can write these down. I may go rather quickly now. Psalm chapter 68. And we're just about done. Believe that. You may not believe that, but that's okay. Psalm chapter 68, verse 19. I'm reading out of the NLT on this one. Uh, 68, 19 says this. Praise the Lord. Praise God our Savior. For each day he carries us in his arms. Psalm 145, verses 13 through 17. Psalm 145, verses 13 through 17. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and the thirst of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He is filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. Powerful, powerful promises. And one of mine, we actually have in our, in our bull sale catalog. I've been doing it for a number of years. Psalm chapter 18, verse 2, 1 and 2. I think I'll close with this one. Psalm chapter 18, verses 1 and 2. I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress. My Savior, my God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. That is exactly what God wants to be. Get your mind wrapped around. Get your attitude right. Be ready when adversity hits you. And it will make you a stronger, better person. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. We especially thank you, Father, that you care for us, that you love us more than we can even imagine, as it even says in Romans chapter 5, that before we even loved you, Jesus Christ died for us. In fact, we were at war with you. We were fully engaged in sin. Adam had sinned, and we had worn that curse. And yet Jesus came at just the right time, Galatians 4.4 4 tells us. He lived a perfect life, 33 years walked the earth, healed, touched people physically, emotionally, spiritually. Father, he knows what it's like for all of the temptations that we endure. It says that he was like and yet never sinned, Hebrews chapter, I uh, can't remember, it's in Hebrews. But Father, we thank you. That our Jesus Christ, when he was on that cross, the last three words he, he, he said were, It is finished. It was the end of the beginning. Death's penalty had finally been vanquished, conquered, put away forever. Satan's grip upon mankind had been broken. But Father, we also know that in Jesus Christ, 
in the sanctification process that the power of sin has been broken as well because Jesus Christ was rose from the dead. There is no power in sin. Father, may we allocate the strength that you've given through the Holy Spirit. May we take that on. May we receive the dynamic power that is ours. Father, to be humble and invincible, those two terms seem so out of context for one another, and yet that's exactly what Paul had described. He was fully engaged in your pattern of life and in your hands, in your power, that treasure that he was holding in an earthen vessel, as he described it, is truly invincible. He was fearful of nothing. To die was to be with you, and to live was all about Christ. Father, take us and use us this week. You will take us on a lot of different directions. We pray for Michael, Father, today, a man that uh, I've known for a long time, but he has uh, come to a very low point in his life, and I pray that as... uh, that you would work in his heart and life and even uh, in every aspect, Father, of his salvation. We would ask that you would fully, fully have him seek you. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing today. Thank you for these that are here. Take them and use them in a manner that is best for you as they open their lives and their minds to you. Thank you for the relationship that's been gained in a stronger way today through the, the power of the Word and of the Holy Spirit. We now thank you for what you're accomplishing. And in Jesus Christ, the most powerful and loved name in all of the universe. We ask it. Amen.